Today on the Trick Kelly Perspective, we'll be looking at Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign launch. We'll be settling the great debate in NBA history of who is the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. And we'll be diving into the controversial 60 Minutes episode on the finances of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So last week, Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, officially launched his presidential campaign. This is something that's been anticipated for a while. Everybody was pretty sure that he was going to run, and all the polls were already included in him, and he was in second place for the Republican primary behind Donald Trump. But just last week, he finally officially announced it during a conference call with Elon Musk. To start this discussion, we're going to start off by watching or listening to the campaign ad that DeSantis released. So let's take a look at that. Our border is a disaster. Crime infests our cities. The federal government makes it harder for families to make ends meet. And the president flounders. But decline is a choice. Success is attainable. And freedom is worth fighting for. Riding the ship requires restoring sanity to our society, normalcy to our communities, and integrity to our institutions. Truth must be our foundation, and common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. In Florida, we prove that it can be done. We chose facts over fear, education over indoctrination, law and order over rioting and disorder. We held the line when freedom hung in the balance. We showed that we can and must revitalize America. We need the courage to lead and the strength to win. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I'm running for president to lead our great American comeback. Okay, so I really loved this campaign ad that he released. I'm a huge fan of DeSantis. I'm a huge fan of the job that he's done in Florida. I think he's a fantastic governor, and he's really done a lot to help expel this wokeism that has taken over the country. And I love what he what he talks about in this video. He says that truth must be our foundation. And for me, truth is what is most important. A lot of people nowadays have the philosophy that people can have their own truths and that people can have their, their own lived truths and experiences and that truth can differ from person to person, but that's just simply not true. Truth is a universal thing, something that binds us all together. And when truth starts to fall apart, society as we know it will fall apart. And so DeSantis, obviously, he's got some really strong values. He's got some great, solid principles. And honestly, I would be very happy with him being our president. If he wins the, the uh, Republican primary, I will be enthusiastic to vote for him. But I still believe that Donald Trump is the best choice for us in the Republican primaries. I really hope that Trump wins the Republican primaries and that we can reelect him as president. And 
here's my reasoning why. I think that DeSantis could do a great job. I really do. I think he could do an incredible job. But I know that Trump can do an amazing job. Why? Because he already did it. His four years of presidency were incredible. The accomplishments that he made, the boost that he gave our economy, his foreign relations policies were incredible. One of my favorite parts about Donald Trump was how he led our country on a world stage and how well he did with our with our foreign policies. And so that's what it comes down to a lot for me is that I think that DeSantis would do a great job and, and I, I'm pretty sure he would, but that's taking a guess. Being the governor of a state and doing a really great job of that doesn't always translate to being the president of the United States, the most powerful person in the world. It's a different ball game. It can translate. I, I think he, I think he could do it, but th- that's still a risk. That's a guess. When I know if we vote Donald Trump back in, he will do a great job, and he will get our country back on track. All the the, the terrible things that have been happening in the the past three years with Biden and the presidency, I think that. Well, I know that that Trump could do would do a great job in riding the ship, like DeSantis talks about in his video about riding the ship. I know that Trump would be able to ride that ship. And another thing that really kind of irks me about about the whole thing is how badly the establishment or the powers that be want to remove Donald Trump. I mean, they are throwing everything at him. They are throwing insane I mean they they arrested him in Manhattan for no crime at all um I mean they're, they're really they're they're throwing everything at him they have been for the since he started campaigning they've been throwing everything against him and there's something about him that the establishment really really doesn't want in office and of course the establishment doesn't do good things And so if there's somebody that is going against the evil, which is very present in the establishment, then they're not going to want that person there anymore. And so that's what we see happening with Donald Trump is that the establishment is trying to take him out. Why? Because he is tearing down the corruption and evil that exists within these powers that that be. You know, he has, he, you know, he drains the swamp. He gets this corruption out. He helps our economy. He tries to lift up America, make America great, instead of tear it down and keep the people in, in almost a state of oppression. And so the fact that so many Republicans are starting to look towards DeSantis and say, oh, like, we need to, like, forget about Trump. Like, he had his time. We need to move on. And move towards DeSantis. It's like, that's exactly what the establishment wants. That's what the other side wants us to do. We're falling right into their plan. They want us to be separated and focus on someone else. They want anyone else besides Trump. I mean, I, I don't see DeSantis getting nearly the amount of criticism that Trump has and, and is receiving. And yes, you know, DeSantis is still 
new in his campaign. That could be a reason, but I just, I feel like whichever way the establishment is telling me to go, I want to go the exact opposite direction. So if they're telling me don't vote for Trump, I want to vote for Trump. If they're so against him for whatever reason, that makes me want him more. And I just don't feel like they're as against DeSantis as they are against Trump. And that says something to me. And so that's my take on the DeSantis presidential campaign and how he should fare versus Trump. Who's the better candidate? I'd rather have Trump. I think we're going to win Washington State. And now to tackle one of the most heated debates in basketball history. Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. Specifically, we're going to be focusing on why Michael Jordan is considerably better than LeBron James. So, let's get started. To begin with, let's talk about championships. Michael Jordan won six NBA championships in his career, leading the Chicago Bulls to two separate three-peats. This has never been replicated and never done before his time. This remarkable achievement showcases his ability to dominate the league and consistently lead his team to victory. And LeBron James, on the other hand, has won four championships as of 2021. While impressive, it falls short of Jordan's unparalleled success on the biggest stage. To put this into perspective, LeBron James has about a 40% win rate in the NBA Finals. Michael Jordan has a 100% win rate. Every single time he went to the finals, he won. He couldn't, it's like he couldn't lose in the finals. In fact, Michael Jordan never lost any championship game that he was ever in when it comes to um, in college, the NBA, the Olympics. He always won when it came to the biggest games. And that's something that, again, LeBron James falls short of. Another aspect to consider is individual accolades. Michael Jordan won the NBA Most Valuable Player Award five times throughout his career, along with numerous other honors. His impact on the game was undeniable as he revolutionized scoring, defense, and overall competitiveness. LeBron James has won the MVP award four times, highlighting his incredible talent, but Jordan's statistical dominance and impact on the game makes a strong case for his superiority. Next, let's examine the concept of clutch. Okay, this is where Michael Jordan really shows out. He was renowned for his ability to rise to the occasion in crucial moments. He had an incredible killer instinct, always stepping up when it mattered the most. Jordan's iconic game-winning shots, such as the shot against the Cleveland Cavaliers in 1989, or his flu game heroics in the 1997 NBA Finals, cemented his legacy as one of the most clutch players of all time. While LeBron James has had his fair share of clutch moments, Jordan's ability to deliver consistently under pressure sets him apart. I mean, I I saw a stat that said that so Michael Jordan he shot around he shot around fifty to sixty percent field goal from outside of three feet away from the basket, and when it came down to like the game winning shots in like the last four seconds of the game. Michael Jordan's percentage actually stayed about the same or even went up a little bit. Um, But when it comes to LeBron James, outside of three feet from the basket, when the game is on the line, four seconds to go, 
um, his field goal percentage actually goes down, which is terrible. It actually goes down to a really low percent, like or somewhere between 10 to 20%. I mean, that's atrocious. So I think Michael Jordan definitely, definitely stands out here when it comes to clutchness, the clutch gene. Another key factor to consider is the level of competition each player faced. Now, this one is greatly debated, but in my opinion, Michael Jordan competed in an era that is the most challenging in NBA history. He faced formidable opponents like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, Hakeem Olajuwon, and many more Hall of Famers. In contrast, LeBron James, while facing great players in his own right, played in an era that some argue was not as deep in terms of talent and competition. Now, obviously, LeBron James did face the Warriors team, which is one of, if not the greatest team of all time. But he also got swept, like, almost every time from them. Except for he did... Come back and beat them in 2016. Come back from a 3-1 deficit, which to me, that is obviously, I think, the most prominent part about LeBron James' career. I, th- I think that's the, the biggest thing that even sets him close to Jordan. But even then, I don't think he comes very close. I mean, that, that was incredible. But I just think the overall dominance that Michael Jordan had was just incredibly greater than LeBron's and I I do think that Jordan's era was a more difficult era to play in. Lastly, we cannot overlook the impact Jordan has had on the culture of basketball. Michael Jordan's influence extended beyond the court, transforming basketball into a global phenomenon. His charisma, style, marketability helped popularize the game around the world. The Air Jordan brand became an iconic symbol not just for basketball fans, but also for sneaker enthusiasts and pop culture as a whole. Jordan's cultural impact remains unparalleled, solidifying his, statu- his status as a bo- basketball legend. I mean, that's something we, we can't deny that the, the impact Jordan had was far greater than, than LeBron's. I mean, it just, it just doesn't even come close. I mean, M- Michael Jordan, he changed the whole world when it came to basketball. So, in conclusion, while LeBron James is undeniably one of the greatest basketball players of all time, probably second behind Jordan, Michael Jordan's legacy remains unmatched. Jordan's championships, individual accolades, clutch performances, and impact on the game make a compelling case for his superiority. I mean, we didn't even talk about analytics, which is a way that people look at basketball through kind of a more numbers way and math way and when you look at that I mean it's just insane Michael Jordan tops the charts like literally number one on almost every single analytic that there is or the major ones that that people look at at least and LeBron is pretty high up there as well but I mean Michael Jordan is just like number one on every single one I mean I won't get into it too much but basically This debate will continue to ignite passionate discussions among fans for years to come, but I don't think 
I I mean, LeBron James, he's still playing, and he, he's still playing at a pretty high level, and that's impressive. That, that's also another really impressive part about LeBron is his longevity. That's something, I mean, he definitely meets out Jordan when it comes to longevity. But there, there's also a lot of factors that play into it, and I don't think that longevity can really outweigh all the other achievements that Michael Jordan did. So really, unless LeBron James continues playing it and continues and like does something incredible, like pulls out another like two or three championships before he retires, I don't think he's even going to come close to Michael Jordan. And I'm actually surprised that it's even a debate. So on the Trey Kelly perspective today, the debate has been settled. Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time until further notice. I'm Michael Jordan. Stop it. Get some help. So now I want to talk about what happened recently with the 60 Minutes episode on the finances of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Which in reality, this started a while ago when a whistleblower in 2019 who was a worker for the ch- in the church's financial department, he came out, says that he, he's leaving the church and that the church is doing things wrong with their funds. They're misusing funds, tithe payers' money. And it, it created this big stir. And then just recently, just a couple weeks ago, um, 60 Minutes actually did an episode with on that, and he, they had him on, the whistleblower on, to, to talk about it. And as I was watching, I couldn't help but think that I need to talk about this because there's a lot that goes into this. Basically, his complaint was that the church has too much money. They have been, I guess, too smart with their money and they have accumulated many assets and a great um, savings account uh, that equals up to around a hundred billion dollars. And yeah, that's a lot of money. That's true. But why does the church have this money? Well, take for take into account that the church is, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, um, charity organizations in the world using billions of dollars, literally, literally using billions of dollars, billions upon billions of dollars to help other people around the world. Whenever there's a natural disaster, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is always one of, if not the first, to show up with millions of dollars worth of resources and help and and people and volunteers. I mean, the church does incredible things. And obviously that's not all the money is for. We also use this money to further the purpose of the church. The, the, The church has a purpose. It has a mission. And this money is used for that purpose. It is used for for building new buildings, new temples, for helping the missionary efforts. 
so many things that that this money goes toward and the thing the what this money doesn't go towards is it doesn't line people's pockets like there's nobody at the top like getting rich off of this and that's that's one of the crazy things about about these complaints is that it's like if you, if you if you think that this organization is using funds in in a wrong way they're they're doing things that they shouldn't well the only reason that 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 would even be happening is because somebody is making a lot of money off of it otherwise there there's no point to use funds wrongly for i mean like nobody's benefiting from it so like what what where, where would the malintent come from what would it be going towards instead what we see as an organization that does everything completely legally morally ethically and uses these funds for very good purposes to help other people and to further the mission of the church which as members of the church of believers we believe is incredibly important and we also i mean and there's also you know this huge saving account people a lot of times ask why aren't we doing more with that money if we, if we have so much maybe we could be doing more well we're doing a lot i've already made that clear and in the future there's going to be more to be done we know that that the world is a crazy place and, and it's getting worse and there's natural disasters all the time and wars, rumors of wars and, and, and things happen and things are going to happen and basically when, when the crap hits the fan people are going to be really glad that, that's, <laughs> that we had this money saved up because we're going to help and that's what it's there for so let's look into this a little bit more. So again, unlike other organizations, no one receives bonuses for bringing in more money. No one has their income tied to church wealth. So again, there's no reason for malintent. There's there's no reason for people to like really want to like do everything they can even wrongly to to, to make more money. Like again, like it says, nobody's income is tied to church wealth. The funds, the church funds, have many watchdogs. Not only do they have the managers, Enzyme Peak advisors, but they report to the presiding bishopric. The presiding bishopric in turn reports to the quorum of the twelve apostles. In addition, they have auditors, independent. They have independent tax advisors that come in and audit their funds annually. And so they do everything they can. To follow the law, dealing with the laws over 150 countries, and that obviously can be difficult. Okay, let's talk about the whistleblower a little bit more. So, Forbes magazine actually did an article on this issue in which they discussed the matter with Paul Streckfuss of the EO Tax Journal. He said, as far as bailing out the insurance company in the shopping mall, who is to say that this was not a justified use of funds to try to save failing investments. In order for Section 4958 on excess benefit transactions to come into play, I think the IRS would have to show some individuals benefiting personally from the bailout. 
poor business judgment would not be sufficient. So that, that was a, some of the claims of this whistleblower. He said that, that the, the church um, used funds to bill out one of their investments that they had. Um, yeah, they did. Because they invested in it so that they could make more money off of it. It's so that we can continue to grow these funds that we have for these good purposes. And so if the investment is failing, yeah, they, they help out that failing. It doesn't break any laws. It doesn't go against anything that the, the IRS, the IRS doesn't have to investigate in that. And I mean, something that is talked about around this issue is how kind of lenient the, the laws are around um, this type of, you know, this uh, when it comes to religious organizations. Um, and uh, there's a reason for that. I mean, when you have this organization here that nobody is, like, benefiting from. No, nobody's, like, getting, again, nobody's getting rich, lying their pockets off of, off of the church. Then the IRS doesn't need to worry about that so much. They, they don't need to... <laughs> Have all these really strict laws in place to make sure everything's you know being done right, because it's actually like again no reason for malintent here. Um, then there was the SEC violation. So the SEC and the Enzyme Peak tax people had a disagreement with how things should be reported. Everything was reported. No money was hidden from the IRS or from the SEC. It had to do with which forms were being used to report the funds. So people thought there was this huge issue that this, the church was trying to do these wrong and pulling these over, put, you know, pull one over on the SEC, on the IRS. But no, this is what happened. The SEC asked the Enzyme Peak to do it differently. And Enzyme Peak complied. So there was no willful noncompliance, no embezzlement, no misappropriation of funds, and, and nobody enriching themselves. It's just... There was, I guess, some type of misunderstanding with, with the forms that they're using, and so you know they they had to, to do things differently. Um. Yeah, the whistleblower also talks about the church using um, a lot of different shell companies, to, help with um, the church finances. There's a lot of benefits for, shell companies. Um, basically what a shell company is, is it's just a type of company that exists on paper, but does not have significant operations or active business. It is often created for financial or legal purposes rather than for conducting substantial commercial activities. And these companies typically lack employees, physical assets, or substantial operations. They may have a minimal presence, such as a registered office or nominal number of employees to fulfill legal requirements. However, the primary function is to serve as a vehicle for certain financial activities or transactions. Um, a lot of times people, they, they, they hear shell companies and they think that those are pretty bad because um, some there have been organizations that have used shell companies for illegal purposes. Um, but a shell company is actually completely legal when used the right way. It's actually just a really smart way to do business, way to handle your money when you have, you know, these, these, these big, uh, 
organizations and entities using these things. I mean, the whistleblower, he tries to like say, oh my gosh, this is so bad. Like shell companies. And, and you know, obviously he knows that people think that a lot of times people um, kind of have a bad taste in their mouth of what a shell company is, but there's actually nothing wrong with a shell company. They're, they just can't often be used illegally, but in this case, they weren't used illegally at all. Um, some of the great benefits of a shell company is privacy and tax optimization, asset protection, merger and acquisition activities, and investment in venture capital activities. So it's just a, a way that big organizations can use their money really smartly. And again, for a really great purpose is this church is trying to build more wealth. I mean, again, like nothing illegal about shell companies. Apple and Google use shell companies. So really nothing to worry about there. So that pretty much takes on all of the issues that this whistleblower brought up. I mean, in for some reason, he felt super disturbed about these things. He left the church over it. Um, and a lot of people are, are getting pretty riled up about it as well. Um, but when you actually break it down, there's nothing much to it. It's an organization doing things really smart with this money. And it's, it uses this money for really good purposes. Nobody's just trying to enrich themselves off of it. Easy money! Well, that's all today for the Trey Keller Perspective. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.